Hey friends, this is Pastor Elizabeth, and you're listening to the Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear the third sermon in our series called Committed to Faith, in which we're facing the challenge of the seduction of wealth and God's call for us to be generous, even cheerful givers. I hope that while you're listening, you might hear something that draws you closer to the heart of God. Here we go. I was just looking up the words to Psalm 150, which says, Praise God with the sounding of the trumpet, with a harp and lyre, with timbrel and dancing, with strings and pipe, with the clash of cymbals, with resounding cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I think that includes uh, boomwhackers <laughs> as well. It's so wonderful to hear our children making a joyful noise and learning about music and rhythm and all the different ways to praise. So thank you to all the parents who are um, loaning us, your children, uh, for this worship and for this leadership uh, and for this time together. It's really a gift. We're in the midst of this sermon series on what it means to commit our lives to God and to a community of faith, specifically to this community of faith. And we've already talked about committing ourselves to prayer, by which we mean growing in our own spiritual lives and praying for the church, and to committing ourselves to presence, showing up to God and to each other. And those might have already felt like challenging topics for some of us who have maybe been choosing not to grow spiritually, but to kind of keep God at arm's length, or who have intentionally made showing up a kind of when it's convenient uh, thing. But both of those topics uh, likely feel more comfortable than what we've got today, which is a commitment of our gifts. And if we were living in Jesus' time, then our gifts might be something like the margins of the fields we've planted each year, gifts of grain or fruit, or a selection of the livestock we've been raising, or even a piece of cloth that we have woven. But most of us aren't currently producing tangible things that support communities like this. So we are called to give our money part of our income. Whether we have a lot or just a little, God asks us to give generously for the sake of others. And I wish there was a ready-to-preach, almost complete stewardship sermon somewhere in the Bible. And we could just open it and read it once a year and all get perfect clarity on what it is God wants us to do. But instead, we just get these pretty general instructions from Jesus and Paul and other early church leaders. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, for example, Paul gives us this fantastic line, God loves a cheerful giver. And I don't know about you, but to me, that feels a little (laughs) passive-aggressive. Like, yeah, you think you did a good job giving generously, but were you cheerful about it? As a side note, kind of as an experiment, I wondered about putting that line in the bottom of our offering baskets so you could read it as they go by uh, down the rows, just to see if you all would try to force a smile or what would happen. But Paul also says that people should give whatever they've decided in their hearts. And I'm not sure that's usually where we make our financial decisions. 
or how deciding in our hearts might lead to different results than deciding in our heads. Then he says that people shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure, and I have to wonder how successful Paul is in his fundraising. Because yes, it would be great if everyone was cheerful and sure about their giving, and it took no pressure at all for them to give generously. But sometimes we need a little pressure to make the right decisions when we have so many options. I know I often hesitate before making even the best decisions because there are simply so many things to think through. So maybe that's what it means to decide in your heart what you'll give, to stop thinking so much about all the options. None of that is quite as troubling, though, as what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew. He says, stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is just after Jesus has said really famous things like, you are the salt of the earth, and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's just taught us all how to pray, including the line, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And then he comes to this whole section of the sermon about priorities and talks at some length specifically about money. And the image of our hearts being where our treasures are might be enough to give us pause. Because if we're honest, many of us would find our hearts in our storage units or our garages or gathering dust in a closet somewhere where we've put our treasures We tend to think that our treasure follows our hearts, that we invest in things that align with our values and pour ourselves into things we love, but most of the time, it's the other way around. Our hearts follow our treasure. So whatever we've invested in will become what we value. Wherever we've put our money will become what's important to us whether that was our intention or not. So we might say that our hearts are with our homeless neighbors, but if we look at our lives, we will likely see that what we invest in isn't providing housing for others, but ensuring comfort for ourselves, always upgrading or maintaining our own living space. Or we might say that our hearts are with the children of the world, but our investments are primarily in our own children. Or maybe we think our hearts are with the planet itself, but when we look at our treasures, we might realize we aren't making many sacrifices unless they also happen to bring convenience and comfort to us. So I admit that by this point in Matthew's gospel, I'm already feeling pretty defensive and uncomfortable. Here I've thought I was doing a pretty good job with my priorities, And Jesus shows me just how far I have to go when it comes to both my treasure and my heart. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Just in case we haven't gotten the point yet, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and wealth. We may not want to think that money is a master over us. I'm sure we don't want to believe that our hearts are divided between Jesus and wealth. 
But money has a lot more power over us than we like to think. Sometimes we're lulled into thinking that we deserve everything we have and more because we've earned it, because we've worked hard for it. And when we think this, we push God aside, ignoring the doors that God has opened for us, the gifts that God has offered us, the people that have helped us, and we ignore God's call in our lives. We begin to push our discipleship to the whenever we have extra category and spend most of our time and energy and money tending to our own wealth, making sure we can pay the bills that are coming in, maintaining the lifestyle to which we've become accustomed, buying things that falsely claim they will make us happier and more beautiful and more fulfilled. Or sometimes it's a lack of money that becomes idolatry. And we spend all of our energy on what we don't have, but deserve we believe, believe we deserve. Either way, money becomes our master. It gives us orders and pushes us around. It becomes a terrible boss that is never satisfied, and it has a powerful grip on our lives. When we're serving wealth, there's no room for anything else. It even takes our hearts. So Jesus warns us in this sermon that we're all prone to this kind of idolatry. And Jesus invites us to make him our only master, to make sure it's only Jesus that tells us what to do with our lives, not our credit scores or our bank accounts or our pay stubs. So as part of our discipleship, our spiritual growth, our beating back the seduction of idolatry, the church invites you to give money to the church. It certainly isn't the only thing required to make God first in our lives. And some folks might say giving to the church isn't required at all, as long as we're giving generously. And it would be helpful if the Bible specifically said, take membership vows at a local congregation and then give them 10% of your pre-tax income. But it doesn't say that. And simply, instead, Scripture simply invites us to put our treasure where we want our hearts to be, which means making sure that wealth doesn't control us. And the best way to do that is to take what we have and give it away. For you, that might look like donating to a number of causes, to low-income housing initiatives or groups that work to clean up the planet or those that support mental health for young people or others that create job training in communities that are historically under-resourced. But if you want your heart to be in the community of faith, I hope you'll put some of your treasure here at the church, too. Giving a percentage of your income, even if you start with a very small percentage, even if a small percentage feels uncomfortable, helps to turn your heart toward the only master that deserves our loyalty. It helps us to trust in the one who gave us everything we have anyway and reminds us that we're supposed to be sharing it as good stewards of all the earth's resources, which are for all the earth's people. Giving generously, even giving cheerfully, helps us grow as disciples and it enables the church to do what we are called to do together, 
to be a beacon of Christ's love and hope and grace in this community, to provide meaningful worship and learning opportunities for all ages, to be family for one another, to challenge each other to lives of justice and compassion, to create space where everyone can begin to know the depths of God's love. Our church leadership has been in discernment about what God is calling us to do in the next program year. And the things that we want to do, the things we feel God is calling us to, the staff we want to employ, the worship we want to offer in person and online, the programs we want to host, the community organizations we want to support, the buildings and property that host all of these things will cost us about $800,000, which is a good 15% more than what we received in income this past year. But we believe that God has big things in store for this congregation. And we pray that each person here will make a commitment to put our hearts at Faith Church and let our treasure follow, to give of what we have and let it show the world what God's love can do. So I invite you now to take out your commitment cards or to use the QR code or the link in the description of the video to pledge online and to make a commitment both to your own faith and to Faith Church as together we give ourselves to the work of God. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Faith Church Podcast. If what you heard was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a friend. If you have any questions or if we can support you on your spiritual journey in some way, don't hesitate to reach out through our website at www.faithunited.org. Tune in next week as we continue this series with a look at how we're called to offer our service, using the gifts, skills, and passions God has given uniquely to each of us for the common good. Until then, take care.